Members of the Muslim community in London, Ontario, gathering for a prayer service to mark the first anniversary of what authorities are calling a hate-motivated attack that left four people dead. The service at the city's Islamic cemetery is among several events organized to honor the Afzal family after the June 6, 2021 truck attack. Today is a day to honor the victims, but also a day to ask questions about the apparent radicalization of the accused, a 20-year-old man that police say had hate-related material on his electronic devices. It's a great story in the Toronto Star today by Wendy Gillis talking about the radicalization of young men and how few support systems there are out there to help them to stop before a tragedy occurs. One of those who is willing to speak to these young men and reach out to them is David O'Brien, who's a director of mental health at the Yorktown Family Services, who also leads ETA Toronto. Welcome to the program, David. Thanks for having me, Alan. Talking about these young men that you are reaching out to, there doesn't seem to be anything beyond calling the police and trying to have them arrested. There's nothing before that. Yeah, for many years, that's been the case. When we think of um, lone actor terrorism and, and now what we're calling, you know, radicalization or violent extremism, primarily it's been a police operation. And, and so uh, in 2020, we, we received funding for a pilot project to actually fill that gray area. So engaging with youth that are in the pathway to violent extremism, who maybe have prepared plans, uh, have tried to acquire weapons, and that gray area is filled by us uh, because when there's an investigation going on or there isn't uh, credible evidence to press charges, a lot of these young people are roaming around. And so rather than do nothing, uh, we decided to, to create a program that engages them uh, through mental health and social health uh, perspectives, using therapy, uh, engagement workers, and really to try to kind of give them, you know, um, a pathway out of this you know, a uh, particular area where they might be headed down to, you know, looking at worst case scenarios, as we've seen in Buffalo, um, you know, London, of course, as, as this is the anniversary. And so really give them that pathway out of this zone where, you know, they can cause a lot of harm. Is there a, a, a similarities between the, the radicalization and, and how they come to this? Yeah, absolutely. And so we, we look at the individual factors. Of course, there are systemic factors that, that sustain and give host to a hate in our society. But we look at the mental health factors. In particular, uh, there's some very strong trends in terms of violence against women, uh, misogyny. We also see trends in terms of past trauma. Uh, what we call complex trauma, anxiety, depression, uh, emotional dysregulation issues, meaning that someone uh, is unable to uh, sustain or, or you know, neutralize their emotions. And uh, one thing we see a lot of is uh, most definitely um, the lack of or the inability to critically think. So when the, when they're engaging online with hate propaganda, uh, often people we see take it for what it is without really putting um, kind of an analysis behind it. So we teach those skills too. And uh, social health factors also include social isolation, uh, social participation, so their engagement with other peers. Uh, most uh, don't have the social skills to build healthy relationships. So the combination of all these factors have been trends in, 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 the, in the 50 clients we've seen over the last two years. Um, are the majority of your clients men? Yeah, uh, so 90% of our clients are men, um, about, probably about 70% are white males. 
Uh, we do have, um, you know, uh, some females in our program, and that seems to be a growing trend um, over the last few years. It, it's, it strikes me that the social ostracization that goes along with a lack of critical thinking, that can really sort of lead someone down a very dangerous rabbit hole. So how do you intercede? Yeah, so we, we do things instead of cutting things off from people, instead of, you know, using our ideologies to power over them, we actually ask them why they're curious about the certain things they're engaging with. Uh, we also help them ask themselves questions so they can have control over the information they're receiving online in chat rooms, social media. So questions like uh, what impact you think this person wants to have over you? What kind of control do they want to have over, over your mind? And what do you think they want you to do with this information? And so really kind of, you know, moving away from challenging uh, through sort of anti-typical anti-racism strategies or or ideological you know, power plays and really being curious. And that's when people usually open up and, and really talk about what this does for them. And in some ways, it keep, you know, it's a false sense of comfort, a sense of belonging to belong to these online communities. And then, you know, our job is to move them away from that by replacing that with more pro-social, uh, positive engagement and, and, and mental health treatment that they much need. I, David, I only have a minute left, but there's going to be people listening to this like, well, why are we doing this? We should just you know, lock them up and throw away the key. That's going to be a reaction that some people have. Could you address that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because that it's the gray area. Most of these attacks come from people who are in this gray area where there's no engagement happening. Our job, we're not an empathy program. We're a public safety program. We're part of a larger security strategy in the country. And our strategy is to engage with them, to build relationships, to veer them off from doing the next attack. David, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alan.